Father, we humble ourselves under your mighty hand. We humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord according to the revelation of Christ that we have. Lord, we just we offer ourselves to you. We bring the offering of our life, our soul to you, Lord, as well as the offering of our praises. We present ourselves before you today, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to, to speak to us, to minister to our heart. Lord, I thank you called us together in purpose. May this moment of time contribute to the work that you began in us. May it contribute to our growth, development, and empowerment to fulfill all of the call of God in our life. And I thank you, Lord. We, we give you the time. We give you in the fear of the Lord our whole attention, our thoughts. We submit our will to you. And Lord, with an open heart, we receive from you today. Receive. In the name of Jesus. Receive. Amen. Hallelujah. We're studying, talking about, speaking of the call of God in our life. And I'll review just a couple things, a couple thoughts to say over and over. It helps to stick. And that one is grace is to the heart. Excuse me. The call is to the heart. Grace is to the call. We have a threefold calling, a calling first to him in relationship to him, a calling to sanctification or to be separated for his purpose. Therefore, you are those who are called according to his purpose, who love God. And out of that, then God can make things work for you. When you have your purposes, he's not required of himself or he's not committed to your purposes. He's committed to his purpose. So as we allow the spirit of God to separate us unto his purpose and we first have that love out of the relationship, then everything's unleashed. So you can put that in your book of secrets to success. <laughs> Everybody's, their ears perk up. Oh, secrets. Secrets to success. Yeah, everybody likes to tell a secret, and it's not a secret anymore. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. Well, we are called first to relationship. Second, we are called unto him to separate ourselves in that our whole life's for his purposes, and then uh, for the glory of God. And then there's the calling to the work. If we don't have the first two right, the calling to the work will become about us and it's not going to work. The calling to the work won't work when the work's about you and not for him. <laughs> so there's just a few things. We were looking at Paul's life and the word of the Lord came through Ananias that said, God's chosen you to know his will, see the just one and to hear his voice. We see the Lord in the word of God and out of the revelation of Christ that we have, that is the basis for humility. It's not you doing something to try to put yourself down or have some feeling of, of humility. It's the revelation of him that creates it in you. Thus, we looked at uh, Isaiah 6 yesterday, the fact that when the Lord was going to take Isaiah on and he's calling him to step up into a higher calling, that he brought a greater revelation of himself to Isaiah. And what that did was created the greater consecration or sanctification where he says, woe is me, because more light shining into his heart. Woe is me. And what it was, uh, because he brought, God had the angel bring uh, a coal fire to his tongue, there were some sins of the tongue happening. And, and uh, something that's dawned on me, 
uh, yesterday, I didn't say this, it may well be because the leader, the king, had sinned. Uzziah had sinned. He tried to step into a, an anointing that he was not called to, and, it, and he died. And the priest warned him, you know, before people get to that place, the Spirit of God will bring warnings. Learn to love warnings. Every parent's always warning their kids, you know, don't drink that. That's to kill the bugs. I mean, you're always warning them. And as they respect you and take heed, that, that warning will keep them from being hurt. Something that could hurt them. And part of the ministry of the word, in the ministry of the word, preaching, teaching, exhortation, comfort, warnings. Paul said, I didn't cease to teach and warn you. And usually, if you were to come and say, I have an inspired word of God for today. I'm going to warn you. Everybody says, oh, no. Oh, it's not usually like, yeah, brother, preach it. But that's part of the ministry of the word as well. And, and we need to be open to the Holy Spirit to be inspired of him, what, that which is needed to come at the time. Now, I'm not, I don't have a message of warnings today, so you, don't, you can relax. Okay, we don't have to hold on to our chair. Warnings are coming. <laughs> no, but I'm just pointing that out to you. And the fact that Isaiah, in his time, the king had died because he tried to cross over. And there's now a, a leadership vacuum of sorts. And the Spirit of God's going to raise up Isaiah to a higher level. It may well be, and I'm not saying this is. But it may well be in the leadership vacuum, there could have been a little complaining going on. That'll happen when there's leadership vacuums. Say, law, you can think about that at the Holy Spirit minister to you. There's a need at times for somebody to step up to a higher level. And the, fail, the, the failure to do that or where it doesn't happen for whatever reason, the people are then... Uh, subject to a greater level of sin, uh, the sins of the tongue. So that time kind of shows us that. So I'm just doing some review. Ezekiel 1.1, we're going to jump into Ezekiel now. My favorite book, right? No, no one thought that before. You like the Gospel of John or something. You know what my favorite book is? The one I'm preaching on today. <laughs> the one I'm reading in the moment. Because when you love the Word of God, it's all your favorite. <laughs> but Ezekiel 1.1 says, It came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Chabar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Now down at verse 3, it says that Ezekiel was a priest. He was already operating in the ministry. If he was a priest, that was sort of his, his destiny there by birth. He would have been raised up studying things for the priestly ministry. And where it says the 30th year, he's talking about he was 30. And at the age of 30 is when people would be released into the priestly ministry. So he had just begun his ministry. Four months and five days before. He just began. But God was going to take him outside of what he thought he was going to do. As far as Ezekiel was concerned, he'd be a priest all the days of his life. 
because it was by the family lineage that that was ordained to be. Sometimes God's going to take you into something you didn't see it coming. You didn't know you'd be called to do a certain thing. But, he has, but he'll reveal that. It's not going to come out of your mind. And remember, the call is to the heart. The grace is to the call. So if he calls you to do something, he will give you what you need to do it. I, I remember clearly when Don and I were first married, we were at a Pentecostal church, and there was a prophet there. But they didn't call them prophets back in those days. Everybody was an evangelist or a pastor. Anyway, he was a prophet. And as the praise time, whatever you want to call it, was in a place like that in those days, the building was shaken. I mean, literally. And people flying all over the place. It's wild. So in the midst of that, here's the prophet of God standing there. And we're just newly married. And he's looking at us like, if you all... If you're old enough to remember the old Superman programs where he could see through walls and everything. <laughs> and it was like that. He's staring at us, having an open vision. And he began to prophesy. And three days before, he prophesied the conversation we had at our dinner table about our future and going on with God and such. And he prophesied. He, you know, he was seeing us sitting in our, at our kitchen table having this discussion and began to prophesy about being uh, in, in fields ripe for harvest as far as the eye could see and prophesying about missions and so forth. We haven't even started the church yet. I hadn't even taught for the first time yet. I just doing personal evangelism stuff. So that was rather mind-blowing, to say the least. But there came a point in time. Now, I had taken some missions trips, but there came a point in time. It's March 1982. Uh, and Spirit, I was praying, and the Spirit of God spoke to me. Now's time for this with missions. And up to that moment, I didn't even like driving as far as here to the beach. I didn't like to travel. Some people love that. I didn't like it. That was a, a chore to get to the destination for me. Didn't really enjoy it. Something dropped in my spirit. The desire. If he calls you to do something, he'll put the desire for it in there. So you don't have to be afraid of him calling you out of something, your comfort zone, into something. Step up. That's what you know, the word, the operative word yesterday. Step up. To call you to step up into something. You don't be afraid. He'll put what you need in your heart. He'll give you the word that you need and, and everything. It's like, now's the time. I said, yes. Learn to say yes. The quicker you say yes, the more quicker you can go on. I said, yes. Moments later, my friend from Nigeria calls me on the phone. Brother Bill. By the time the phone conversation's over, arrangements are made for me to go to Nigeria. This was uh, the day before our anniversary. And our custom was we would go, uh, go away for our anniversary somewhere. And so I thought, I'll tell Donna. I'll break the news to her. 
Well, we go away and we're having dinner and so forth. And uh, so we go away the next day. I think we're staying over in Lancaster here somewhere. And I, I'm preparing to break the news to her, you know. And she starts laughing. She said, I already know. <laughs> Brother Ema called. And, and uh, he would call earlier, but I'd be up early. I'm an early riser. So I was already gone. So he calls and tells her, he says, she says, oh, he's already gone, Brother Ema. Ha, 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 kings rise early. Ha, 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 ha. So, so he tells her, says, sister, did you hear the good news? No, what, Brother Ema? Brother Beal's coming to Nigeria. <laughs> but in, this is all just bing, bang, boom, bing, bang, boom. It's set up, it's done. That quick. When you're preparing for things, and I'm just saying this by spirit, I have no intent to say any of this, but when you're preparing for things, it can seem so long. And you might be looking to feel something or some revelation or something come. Just keep doing what he told you to do. Stay faithful whatever he has you doing right now. And when the time's right, and he knows when the time's right, we don't know that. He can make it happen so fast, your head's spinning. Well, then what? Then what? You cry out to him again. He doesn't ever want you to stop doing that. So, so don't think, you know, when you're waiting, oh, because Satan would want to try and bring doubt. We have to learn to, to know we've heard from the Lord. We, we, we continue to stand, to operate in that word. We live from preceding word to preceding word. Jesus was quoting from Deuteronomy. When you get a word from God, you walk that out, you live that. Well, he says something else. You don't stray from that. You stay in what he called you to do. Brother Larry mentioned that yesterday about the promises to you. The promise and the conditions. Take care of your body. In the name of Jesus, take care of your bodies. I've known too many men of God have visions from God and great anointings on their life. And they leave early. And there can be different reasons, but part of it, in a lot of cases, because they didn't really pay attention to taking care of the temple of the Holy Ghost wherein your spirit dwells, and his spirit dwells. Okay. Ezekiel 1. Did you find that yet? He was 30. He was, he, he, as far as he was concerned, he's going to be a priest all of his life. He just stepped out and started it. And he says, uh, it was the uh, fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, and he was in Babylon, but the, not all of uh, Jerusalem had come into, into captivity yet. And there was this rebellious spirit in the people, and God's beginning with Ezekiel say, I want to keep speaking to them right up to the end. And Jeremiah was used to speak the word of the Lord right up to the end before they go into captivity. And Ezekiel's called right sort of towards the end of Jeremiah's ministry. There was maybe another five, six, seven years at the beginning here. So he has vision here. And verse one says, I saw visions of God. I saw visions of God. Again, Ezekiel is going to step up here into the prophetic calling out of the priestly ministry and anointing. 
And he's going to be lifted into that based on the revelation God's going to give him. And the strength of that revelation is going to carry him through. If you study through the book of Ezekiel, you will see a number of times where he makes reference back. He'll say, I saw the glory of God like I did back here. That was the basis and the foundation of him moving forward. When you're going to go forward in ministry, you have to know what it's based on. You must. You will be tested. You will have a fight. It's out of the strength of that call, the strength of the revelation, whereby comes the consecration and sanctification, and then whereunto the anointing to come upon you as you're humbling yourself in the sight of the Lord. And his grace begins to lift you up or empower you to do what you're called to do. I saw visions of God. He wasn't trying to make it happen. He wasn't planning on it. He was a happy 30-year-old. I'm entering in to my calling here. I'm a priest. He would have been happy to stay a priest. But God had something else for him. So don't be surprised if God takes you into something that wasn't in your plans. Learn not to try to plan the will of God. Just let him reveal it. Let him command it. You just obey it. Sometimes people want to figure out their whole life. That is the wrong way to approach it. We want to learn to listen, hear, and obey. And believe God for the grace to do it. So in, in this vision, I saw visions of God. That's what he was going to need, that revelation to fulfill the call. So as it goes on, we read through there, he saw these living creatures which were reflecting the character and nature of God in the work. I'll get to that more later, but it specifically be mentions there around verse 10 and says that these living creatures had the face of a man in the front, had a lion on the left, <coughs> ox on the right, and face of an eagle. And we'll get into that, but those things give pictures of God's spirit working in the work. Now, God has created us with, with a mind where we visualize things, we comprehend by what we see. So therefore, he gives visions, or he'll give even illustrations, examples. There's things that we will see and come to understand based on what we see. He had visions of God. Then it speaks of beside these creatures that the where the spirit would go, the living creatures would go. Now, I'm going to bring this simple, because sometimes people get lost in the weeds of, of uh, uh, symbolisms. You can get so deep into symbolisms, you miss the main point. I'm always looking first, what's the main point? You know, you want to learn even in speaking. What's the main point you're trying to make? You add the embellishments, but what's the point? If you, if you lose sight of the point, you become a person just rambles, whether it's conversation or the ministry of the word. We don't want to just be rambling on and on. We make the point. What's the main point here? So we, you know, he speaks of the visions of these creatures which reflect the, the life, nature, power of God in the work. And he sees a wheel and a wheel within the wheel. And that is symbolic of the work of God. And there, wherever the creatures would go, the wheels would lift up and go with them. And it says down at verse 
1920 and 21, that the spirit of the creature was in the wheel. Or in other words, the spirit of God comes into the work or does the work he wants to do. We need to understand this. It's not us trying to work something and hope God will get involved. Oh, God, touch it and bless it. No, God is in his work. We want to learn to identify what he's doing, flow with him. It says there when Jesus was sending the, uh, the disciples out, that they went forth and preached everywhere, and the Lord was working with them with signs following. He had commanded them what they were to do. They obeyed, and he was working with them. They were working, working together with Christ. It's not us, our work, what we're doing. It's his work. We're working with him. So there is the wheel and a wheel within a wheel. And I want to bring a point out here about this. We need to understand there is a work he's doing in you. There's a work he's doing through you. There's a work he's doing in your family. There's a work he's doing in your church. There's a work he's doing in your community. There's a work he's doing in our nation. There's a work he's doing worldwide. And there is the work of God. There's the, the wheel and the wheel within the wheel. There is the work of God from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning to the end. And it's helpful to us to understand the work that we're doing and how it fits the bigger work. Because sometimes people don't see where they fit or, or the work of, of the Lord presently in the churches of Jesus Christ or with evangelism and church planning. They might not see what's going on, how it's fitting the whole big picture. God knows that the work to be done and accomplished from the beginning to the end. So it's helpful for us to gain the insight and understanding of the work he wants to do. Well, to put it simply, what is it? Jesus is building his church. That's what? He's going to prepare his bride. And he died to have a family in heaven who knows God, a family that's born of him who will gain a revelation of, of the love of God and the, and the grace and mercy, because the angels don't understand that. First Peter 1, around verse 12, says they, they desire, the angels desire to see into the things that we see. They've seen the glory of heaven. But they've not seen something you know. And that is the revelation of the mercies and grace and love of God. Because they didn't, Jesus didn't die for the angels. He died for you. They saw the glory, but you, you, you can gain the revelation of knowing his love. Now, that's a whole other message or messages, but I'm just stating that. God was looking for a family that would have a revelation of his love, and without there having been sin on the earth, then you don't need a Savior. And the only way the love of God defined is the fact that he died for our sin. That's where you know the depths of the love of God. So it had to be. It's part of the plan from the beginning. It wasn't plan A, plan B. It's a plan from the beginning. He wanted a family that would know him. So anyway, God had this bigger work. And the things we're involved with are a wheel within the wheel. We're doing a work within the bigger work. We have the work of God in local churches like this. But then there's what he's doing worldwide. 
And when you begin looking at it worldwide, there's a different perspective, isn't it, Dale? There's this whole other perspective. You see it from a bigger perspective, a God perspective. And many times people will will just look at it through the the lens of their own life's work. And everything's about... Yeah, I've heard people already corrected, and they think Bible prophecies according to as it goes in the United States. I say, excuse me, but you're uh, lacking some understanding. God has a plan for the whole world. We need to give a, get in on that. Not, it's not just this little tunnel vision deal. And it's important to be a part of something bigger than yourself. You know, a child needs to see they're a part of a family. Family needs to be a part of the local church. And in that, there is the, the expression of servitude and love, and, and everything else comes out of that. The local church needs to be a part of what God's doing worldwide. Thus, thus, missions is necessary. It's not an option. It's important. We need that. Because each local church needs to be a part of the, the worldwide thing that God's doing. And that helps us have a, a right perspective. Where there is the, the wheel within the wheel. There's a work within the work. So we have our work to do. And then we, we're a part of a bigger work. Wheel within a wheel. I just want to just state that here. Then the Spirit of God, he shows also the throne. And above uh, the creatures, the throne of God, he, he brings some descriptions. Again, I'm not going to get into all symbolic symbolisms because you can get lost in the weeds with that. There's so much of it here. But the main point, he revealed the work of the Spirit of God or the work and, and the working of the Spirit of God in the work, because he's going to have to know that, because he's going to be doing it. And he sees that God is above it all, and the creatures move, or the Holy Spirit moves according to the will and word of, of, of the Father in heaven. The will and the word of the Lord God. Now, when we understand the ministry of angels, it says in Psalm 103, verse 20, they hearken to his word. You're not their boss. You know, people teach, oh, yeah, you can command angels what to do. No, you don't. You do not have that authority. What's been given to us to speak the word, it's their job to bring the word to pass as it pertains to their work. They're not your slaves and servants, although they've been given to minister to us, but it's according to his word. Therefore, we need to be a people of the word, speaking the word with an understanding. The angels back it up. The throne of God backs up his word. Your words aren't any good if no one backs it up. You know, someone could say, well, we're going to shut down this writing. But you don't back it up. That doesn't, it doesn't do anything to back it up. You can have a confidence because the very throne of God and the angels of God and the Holy Ghost are all committed to backing up his word. And when we understand that, that's like, okay, Lord, I see it. So I'm purpose to be a man of the word, to speak the word to something, knowing they'll do their part. Selah, think about it. If you have other thoughts in your mind about all that, that's fine. 
But I just told you scripturally where you can find the truth about it. <clears throat> okay. So then the, he, you know, he sees the glory of the throne, which is, is speaking of the authority of God. The authority expresses its will, and everything gets set in motion. It's the word from the throne, and those living creatures go to work, which are reflective of the, the Spirit of God in his ministry. Ezekiel falls on his face. The Spirit of God, and I'm, I'm, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Stand up! And he lifts him up. And he says, I'm sending you to a hard-hearted people who don't want to hear what you've got to say. That's my paraphrase. <laughs> he sends you to a people. His ministry is about people, not building buildings. It's nice to have a building where we're not out in the heat and the sun. But it's not about building buildings. It's not about, about building ministries. It's about people. He said, I'm sending you to a people. And I believe the Spirit of God, in the call of God, it will include a specific people. Now, it could be expanded at times. It could be changed. You know, you're called to a place, and then the Lord says, you finished your work here, you go to this place. But in, in any case, there's an element of a call to a people. And Dale referenced there in Acts 16 the other, earlier this week how Paul was, he, I mean, he was a go man. He was a doer. And he wanted to go here, he wanted to go there. The Spirit of God said, no, no, no. Now right there's proof. You can't just do what you want to do. Well, I'm called to God to do this. No, you can't just do what you want to do. There is a lie that Satan will try to bring into the mind of people that you're free. You can do what you want to do. Not with his blessing on your life, you're not. We need to find his will and believe God for the grace to do it and be committed to that. What you like is irrelevant. He doesn't necessarily even send you a people you're going to like. Therefore, you better get a hold of the love of God or you're going to end up in sin toward the people you're sent to minister to. I've seen people end up that way before. I won't <clears throat> give specific references, but I've seen it. A missionary can be sent to a certain place and their ways are so ignorant, it just irritates you. And if you're not careful, you continue to hold them in love, you can begin to get in sin against the very people you're sent to minister to. That doesn't work out too good. I remember going to, to Haiti, and I, I observed this there, in 84, and I saw it was like a, a group of missionaries, and there was only, there was 85% illiteracy. And they were so undisciplined, we're going to have a meeting, pastors, a lot of them were just still coming when the meeting was over. I mean, they're like two hours late. Now, maybe they didn't have a watch. Maybe they didn't have transportation. Yeah, I don't know. You have to be careful making judgments. But for me, as a young American, I'm thinking, because we're very schedule-oriented. We say 1 o'clock. 1 o'clock means 1 o'clock. 7 o'clock means 7 o'clock. But that's not how they are. Everything's real laid back and 
casual and everything. So when your ways are different than the ways of the people you're sent to, you could become agitated by that and end up not really carrying them in faith and love as you should, and now you're done. You might as well just go home. And this stuff happens. You realize it can happen to pastors in Pennsylvania where the people, if you don't hold fast to the love of God, you can start getting agitated at the very people you're called to help. Well, anyway, God calls us to a people, and he doesn't necessarily do it in a, in a way where this is going to be easy. You'll like this. I've heard people say, Lord, if you call me to Hawaii, I won't mind at all. Don't send me to Siberia. It's cold there. It's wise for us not to talk like that, much less think it. It's not for us to tell God. If he calls you to Siberia, he'll give you a grace that you'll learn to love. Six months of winter, whatever it is. I mean winter. (laughs) Moscow gets cold too, right? 20 below, you know, stuff like that. Dale, did you ever walk out so cold your beard beard freeze and break? Not break. (laughs) Because your breath's freezing. I worked in a uh, in a warehousing situation in an ice cream, or in, had to go in and out of the, f- the freezer. And they're 10 below and 20 below. The ice cream freezer is 20 below. You can only stay in like 10 minutes. You have to come out 10 minutes. And your breath, I think I had a mustache, and would freeze your mustache, freeze on there. You don't want to bump it, you might break it off. <laughs> it was that cold. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, God calls us to a people. So I'm sending you to a people, not of a strange language. You don't even have to learn a different language. You know, it's wise if you're being sent to a place that's a different language, it's wise to learn the language. He didn't have to do that. You know these guys, Ezekiel. It's the people of your own heritage. And they are stubborn, stiff-necked, hard-hearted. Yippee, you know. Couldn't you pick somewhere else, Lord? A gentle spirit of people. I'm sending you right in there. He said, they don't want to hear what you have to hear, but I'm going to make your head like flint. It's a very hard rock. Somebody said, I'm hard-headed. Oh, that's qualify you to go to a tough place. <laughs> so I'm going to send you right in there, but you'll be, I'll give you a strength. It's really what God's saying. I will give you a strength that no matter what they're coming at you with, you're going to stand strong. Thus, we have the original Rocky. Da, 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 da. Ezekiel. <laughs> Go on in. <laughs> and he says, they may not listen to you. Your success, I like how Dale defined it uh, earlier this week. How you define success defines you. Your success is not based on whether there's any response. There are some people sent in missions to where the, pl- the soil's not yet been plowed. It's very hard-hearted, and it might be years till they see people saved. And then there's another place that the, uh, the fruit's falling off the trees. You got a quick scooper up. It was such a joy when I was... At traveling with Dale into Russia back there in the 20-aughts. 
And I used to jokingly say after that, you could give the definition of a deacon and everybody in the room would get saved. Oh, that's, that's just f- preacher's fun. What are you doing for fun, Pastor Bill? Oh, to go there and see that. Because it's not like that here. It could be. It's not that time and season yet. You see, with nations, there are times and seasons. The harvest is ripe. Somebody needs to go in. Douglas MacArthur, our general, World War II, who led the Pacific Theater in defeating Japan, when they surrendered, he said, their God has fallen, send 10,000 missionaries, and we can take Japan for Christ. That's our top general talking. Church wasn't ready, didn't have 10,000 missionaries, and it went on, you know, Buddhism or whatever all was going on there. There's a time, there's a ripening of the harvest. That's when it's fun. But there's times he sends people into where they're taking the plow to the hard ground. And it will require a lot of intercession and possibly even martyrs. It will require suffering many times and plowing that up. So it's not about outward results. When I hear people push and promote out, outward ex- results to say there are somebody, look at the numbers, look at this or look at that, many times it's the result of somebody's labor that came a couple generations ahead of them. You know, we got to go there and just see that harvest, but there were people who died suffering for Christ behind the Iron Curtain who were interceding. And their blood may have continued to speak forth of Jesus we don't know. I mean, you, you probably have some awareness, some of that history, because you've been around all those people. But we don't know. We don't know what all was behind the, the, the result that you see. So we do not measure our success based on an outward appearance of a result. That's what he was saying to Ezekiel. They may not want to hear what you have to say. They are in a position of being hard-hearted, but I want my word to go in there, and Ezekiel, I'm calling you out of the priestly ministry, be the prophet, and you're going to go in and take that word to them and, and bring a breakthrough. Then it says, going into the end of chapter 2 and chapter 3, God brought a, a roll, a scroll, with, with messages on that, with a word on that, and told him to eat the roll. And it says it went into him, and it was you know, sweet like honey. God needs to, God will, when he calls you to something, he's going to put something in you to do it. Now, we can tend, as we look at this, to think of the prophetic ministry that Ezekiel had. But I want you to apply this, whatever he calls you to do in the work. If he calls you to, to be the person cleaning the church, or preparing food, or whatever it might be, something, or working in a nursery, there's not a whole lot of glory to that. In fact, a lot of times, nobody even knows you're doing it. You're in there thinking, when is that preacher going to stop? I mean, it's like you're in there with 10 children. And I've done that before with not, not think when are they going to stop, but sit in, in nursery or with any, any part of the ministry 
And it can be a challenge, but God gives grace to the call. And sometimes we need to volunteer just out of the heart of a servant and still believe God for what it takes to do it. Dale mentioned about getting around Bob and, and the, uh, the anointing of the prophetic office come over and you kind of step into that to where you know he, he's in the building somewhere. And I've experienced that already. I'm not an evangelist. My friend Israel Jabaraj in India is evangelist onto apostle. I'm going to go out and unreach village areas. They've never heard the gospel before and preach, and we will side by side, team. And he anoint that anointing because the work at hand for that moment is for the gospel to go, with signs following, a village is going to get saved, a church is going to get planted. I'll believe God for the anointing because I'm with him who's called to do that. I'm there to help him for that same anointing that's on him to be on me. So we can come along and say, well, I'm not really called to teach kids. Fine. Who is? Believe God for the anointing that's on them to get on you when you step in there to help out. Are you hearing me now? Sometimes people excuse themselves. Say, well, I'm not called to that. There's times there's an anointing available because something needs to be done. And, and again, relative to missions, you need to understand that because you could be sent and operate in something's not necessarily your calling and anointing, but it's what's needed at the time. The Spirit of God's in the wheel. He's in the work. He has a work that wants to be done. And you said, yes, Lord, here I am. And we need to learn to be able to release faith for what it takes to do whatever. Whether it's something that, you know, you know, visions from God, I'm called to do this specifically, or whether you step into something, well, something needs to be done now. By faith, I'm going to receive it. The work he has before me is this right now. So therefore, God, I can expect for your grace to do it. Ah, yeah. Well, he put a word in him. Now, I want to create understanding about something. You can have an inspiration for a message. That's not what it's talking about. There are points along the way as God calls someone, particularly at the fivefold, where he's going to, there's a point in time he's going to speak to you, minister to you. It could be a vision. It could be a prophecy. It could be while you're sitting reading the Bible. But something goes into you. And it becomes a part of your ministry from then on. I can I could name, I'm not going to, and I'm not going to take the time to, but name points in time when that is something that I experience. It wasn't like, well, I feel inspired to, to preach a message on communion. That's not what we're talking about here. There is a word or an anointing that you will carry to the people you're called to. And I'll say it this way. Brother Hagen used to say, start it anywhere in the Bible and he'd end up teaching faith. Why? Because the Lord appeared to him and told him, and he said, go teach my people faith. He couldn't get away from it. So there was that point there where he put something in you. He did that with Ezekiel. Say, law, that's for, for whoever. It might be certain individuals. 
He put in him, he, he called him to a people, and he put something in them to give them. And we should expect that. Now, I'm going to use the rest of this time on one other point, and that is the four faces of the living creatures. Or four, show us four characteristics of God, or showing Ezekiel, that would be necessary for us, or would apply to us relative to the work. The spirit of the living creatures is in the wheels. Wheels are the work. And one of them was the face of a man. And what that is speaking to is compassion. Compassion comes through identification. Compassion is not about feelings. Oh, poor baby, I'll help you. It's not about that. But there is an identification with a people, a group. It could be a nation. It could be a race. It could be people who have a certain life experience. If you think back, many of the people called to very powerful healing ministries almost died themselves, or some of them did die, and come back. And they know what that suffering is, or whatever they went through. They have a compassion. They're identified with people suffering from that. And that compassion is like the river carrying the boat, the water carrying the boat. The compassion is needful because it just carries the flow of the anointing to the people you're called to. Again, I mentioned earlier, you could begin to have bad attitudes towards the people you're sent to minister to. But the compassion, and again, it's not, oh, oh, poor baby, oh, I love you. That's not the compassion, Lord. It's an identification. An identification. And identification is a key to intercession. If you read the book, Reese House, called Intercessor, life-changing book. I don't know if I agree with all his doctrine necessarily, but the revelation he had was identification brought the release of the power of God in intercession. And by that, I mean you identify with God, faith for what's needed comes in your identification with him. You identify with people, the compassion comes. And Jesus operated this way uh, Matthew 14, he was tired. John the Baptist just had his head cut off. There's emotional distress. He's tired. He says, let's go apart and pray. Multitudes follow him. And it says he was moved with compassion and healed the sick. The compassion of the Lord, your, your identification with a people is so necessary because it'll take you beyond your strength. It'll take you beyond everything you feel. I remember the Lord teaching me this. First time I went to India was 1981. And we were there three weeks. It was a group of us. There was big meetings, like 10,000 people under the, you know, the leaves. We call it a pendal. And three meetings a day. And if you're going to pray for the sick, and there was maybe 10 of us. You go to India and say, we want to pray for the sick. Everyone will come forward. So we were praying, laying hands on the sick for I don't know, easily an hour, easily. So after that, I'm walking back to the orphanage where we were staying. And it's about 
five, six hundred feet maybe back. And somebody stops me. They tap their head. They want me to pray for them. And I did. And the next thing I knew, and I'm standing in the sun, there's like 100 or 200 people surrounding me. And we probably prayed for them already anyway. And you know, they'll take prayer like, in fact, you got to, ushers have to watch them because they'll get in his, his line and then her line and her line and his line because they want all the blessing they can get. I mean, that's the mentality. So I'm staying there in that sun for about an hour. And I hit a certain point. I'm empty. I'm em- I don't have anything else to give. I'm empty. And prior to that, you're reading, I dreamed about doing such a thing. Endless. I'm still waiting to go wherever it was. You taught like six hours straight of Bible school. <laughs> That's teacher's dreams. But anyway... <laughs> brother Oig saying it's all day long you made him just teach all, it's in China so hungry but I hit the point where I didn't have any more to give and the whole rest of the three weeks studying nothing but scriptures on the love of God because I realized the compassion there was a certain limitation there that couldn't take me past in other words, I had a limitation because of it but Jesus didn't so I began to, to seek the Lord more on that and began to understand that that kind of compassion will take you beyond and it's like the river carrying the boat now you mamas you you can easily understand what I'm saying because you have an infant child what do they do at least ours did every two hours especially our firstborn. Every, you can watch the second hand go up. Two hours. He's crying. He wants to eat. My wife was breastfeeding, so I was like, sorry, I can't help you. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I'm not, I hope I'm not in trouble saying that. But, but in the heart of the mother, you are so identified with that child. You carried within you for nine months. You birthed that child. You are nourishing that child. You are so identified. There is thus a compassion. And it enables you to go on a few hours broken sleep, night in, night out, night in, night out. Go, and you're just pouring out. How does a woman do that? It's the compassion of the Lord. That's how. Because you are so identified. That's your child. That's your child. That life proceeded from you. You'll lay down your life. You'll die doing that if you have to. Praise God, you don't have to. But you would be willing to. That's, that's the... That works in women. The man might grunt and roll over. Sorry, can't help you. But there might be another area where you have this strong compassion... I have a great compassion on young men answering the call. Because I didn't have anybody to help me when I was in that place. I have a strong compassion on a young pastor who may at times be crying out like I did once. God, where's the old men full of the Holy Ghost? Send one to me. Oh, 
well, something's wrong with you, pastor. You're not saying your greater compassion's to, to go to the unsaved. Well, I'm not saying I don't have compassion for them. I'm just saying because I am more identified, my life experience has walked through an understanding the trials of that young man answering the call, the trial of the young pastor. It doesn't have anybody standing with them to, to give them wisdom. So it's joy for me to travel. You know, the one time flying into New Delhi, we rode a train for 30 hours up to, from northwest India to northeast India. We get there and minister, and there's a couple young pastors there just to help them. Or riding trains across Siberia, and we would have you know, a few pastors sit in with us between the, the meetings. And for them, I knew for them this is a gold, opportunity of gold to draw and ask a question. And I don't care about recognition or any. It's the compassion the Lord says, I'll go to those guys. And my friends in India would say, you know, the big ministries are very little help to us because they're not willing to go out in these village areas. It's not very nice. It's not very clean. It's, you know. So that's what we need. Who will go with us? And we go out in the middle of nowhere and there's whatever, 50 young pastors walking for miles, riding bicycles, maybe some of them on a bus. This is their moment. And it's not that I'm anything or anyone, but I'm willing to go and I have a heart for those guys. You know, it's, it's not the big name ministry that's most going to bless a church. It's who is the Lord sent. With whom do you have relationship? Who has a heart for your people? Because that compassion is the river carrying the boat. Whether it's the healing, anointing, miracles in the life of Jesus, even to teach all day. Then he had compassion and said, we got to feed these people. They, they were so hungry, they sat here for three days. They didn't eat. We don't want to send them home in a weakened condition. How much food do we have? Oh, a couple of fish, a couple of loaves of bread. Let me pray over it. But compassion said, I must feed the that whole multitude. Even though I want to sleep, I have to lay hands on all these people. The Spirit of God in His work, one part of it, I'm just finish on this, the face of the man, the compassion for those people, that's necessary. And that takes you beyond and you can look back, and I'm sure you've done this, Dale. You look back and say, how did I do all of that? Lord, how did you do this? Why did I do this? The compassion of the Lord. Again, like the mother waking up every two hours to feed that baby. The compassion of the Lord just keeps moving you forward. And it's a part of, I can't quit. Now, we understand we serve the Lord because we love him. We love him because he first loved us. It's not because the people are appealing to us or nice. Ezekiel sent to people who don't want to hear what he has to say. Just soon kill him. See, it's not about the people being nicer. It's that you have an identification that God put there. So some people, maybe they were in prison. They start a prison ministry. Someone almost died from sickness. A healing ministry. You could have... Whatever the situation might be, you know, where you were abused as a child, you want to minister to children. 
There's, but in any case, whether it's just supernatural by the Spirit, He puts a nation, a people in your heart, or by life experience, He put it within you, a people. And from Him, then, we need His compassion where we see that people in our heart through the eyes of His love, how God the Father seeing them. And then that brings forth the anointing or like the, the river carrying the boat. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that as, as much as come for us to ponder and consider that you give us understanding of these things. Help us to apply these truths to our life. And I thank you, Lord, we shall be empowered by your spirit and fulfill the call in our life in Jesus' name. Amen.